Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks, episode 20. In this episode, I talk sailing with Hardy Peters. Hardy Peters is a local businessman who owns East Coast Sailboats. He is a dealer and distributor for several recreational sailboat lines, both locally and across the country. And he is also owner of Surfer Girl. Surfer Girl is a 38-foot catamaran that does charter tours out of Duck, North Carolina. And when he's not doing that, he is organizing youth sailing camps on the Outer Banks to teach uh, the young kids around here how to sail. And he also uh, hosts and sponsors a couple of regattas, one in the spring, one in the fall. When he's not doing all that, he may be racing in the World 1000. It's a sailboat race they have every other year, I believe. And they race on the open ocean in the Atlantic, and they start in Florida and they end in Virginia Beach. And he did that for the first time in 2022, uh, represented the Outer Banks extremely well. And we talk a lot about that as well as some of the other things he has going on with sailing. I think you will like this podcast episode, so sit back and enjoy. So it's the summer of 2022. You're in the World 1000 race. You're five miles offshore. And describe what it's like out there. Well, you're hanging off the side of a boat in the trapeze on an F-18, which is 18 feet long, and it's crystal clear blue waters, and you're dodging turtles <laughs> and other sea creatures yeah. uh, because you don't want you don't want to hit them for, 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 for good reason, but you don't want to damage your boat at the same time. Exactly. And you're sailing along, and you're doing 15 knots, and it's upwind, and uh, you're just having a great time, and you realize that you've been on the water for three hours, and Get another five hours to go. Right. So as you adjust your trapeze on this <laughs> and hope to get comfortable. Yeah, um, you better get comfortable for you, a long ride, right? Yeah, you move on. That's great. So you came to the Outer Banks. Did you have sailing like in, in your future? Did you know you had sailing in your future? Or was it just, let's relocate to the Outer Banks and see what happens? No, actually, we, we um, sailing was not in the conversation at that time. I was sailing. I yeah. had a, I had a, I had a boat and we were I was sailing recreationally for fun and stuff like that. Um, we came out here to relocate for a better life for the kids and you know we, it was very intentional for us to come here uh, because it's North Carolina and it's the Outer Banks and it's just a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and agreed. My career aspirations were very different at that time and um, I kind of fell into it. Excellent. So at what point did you decide to concentrate on sailing or, you know, really focus on that? Um, it was a Wednesday afternoon. And, uh, <laughs> this is very specific. It, oh yeah, it, was, it was a Wednesday afternoon, about three o'clock. And I was Mr. Mom um, during that time because I had sold my business and, and I was trying to see where I was going to reinvent myself or, or try something new or, or continue on in, in, the, in the same career that I had uh, here. And uh, it was three o'clock. Uh, the kids were in school. My wife was on a business trip. I was on my third beer and I was cooking dinner. And I'm like, I looked at myself and I said, you know, this is not sustainable yeah. at all. And so I made a choice. I said, well, yeah, I need to go find something to do. And what do I, what do I love to do? And I love to sail. So right. I contacted uh, John Britt at Norbank Sailing Water Sports and uh, went and worked as a part-time instructor Excellent. the next season. That's funny. So you're, you're obviously very active in the, in the local sailing community. 
tell, tell me about some of the things you do with the, in the sailing community right now. Well, um, over the years, um, we started a sailing camp uh, for kids for kids and uh, that developed into sailing lessons for adults as well too and we've kind of backed down and focused more mainly on the kids at this point in time right. um, but I was also active with the Collington crowd and then there's a group at Hatteras that we try to help out as well too uh, work with Barry Wicker and Manio at the Maritime Museum uh, with their regattas over the years, uh, we have kids. That, they have a special boat over there, the Moth boat. The Moth, no, that's Elizabeth City. Okay, Elizabeth City. So Elizabeth City uh, started off as a small sailing program as well too, and they eventually morphed into River City Community Sailing. Okay, and that brought in uh, the Moth was a historic boat that was built in Elizabeth City, and it's still being built okay. as a kit. Uh, there and they do a regatta every year and so we we help support that regatta up and up in Elizabeth City as well as a school they cool. use a lot of our boats and everything so so what boat does the Manio Manio uses a couple different boats they use the uh, uh, mainly the Opti right. which is a starter boat for kids um, and then they use a uh, 420 okay. uh, and so that's a standard boat for, 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 for a little bit older kids double-handed boat okay so you got a lot of youth stuff going on. Where do you see uh, some of this stuff going in the near future? Well, I, I think, you know, Outer Banks has such a great resource, and that's all this water. And when you look out and you see the water in the Currituck, Albemarle, Roanoke, Croatan, or the Pamlico, what do you see? Water. Wide open you don't spaces. See wide open spaces, you don't see a lot of boats. Um, there are a lot of folks that, that, that sail. There's a lot of folks that motorboat, and there's a lot of folks that kayak and paddleboard, and it's such a great resource. Um, I see sailing as, as a destination for the Outer Banks, either through recreational sailing or through, through events. I mean, bringing, bringing sailors here um, to a venue to sail, you know, which would be, which would be great, almost like an organization did in the past in, 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 in Manio. Uh, they, did, they, they were bringing in classes to, to class racing and everything like that. I think, you know, that we have that opportunity to do this. And I've, I've pitched that to the Tourism Bureau uh, uh, once or twice. And I think that, you know, they see it. And, but the question is, how do we do that? Um, so um, I think that, that, you know, I see the future of it to be that, but the only, problem, only hurdle we have to get over is water access. Right. That's the biggest hurdle we have I try to explain that to people, despite being surrounded by water, it's difficult to get a boat on the water. Correct. Right out here for some reason. I don't know Correct. why, but it is. Um, and you have hosted some regattas. I mean... Yes, we... Yep. Uh, so this, it's not foreign language for you? No, no, it's not foreign language. Uh, uh, we host two main regattas. Um, one is uh, the Duck Cup out of Duck, which is a, kind of a historic race here, yeah, here in the Outer Banks. It's been a long time now. Yeah, it's a, it's a multi-hull regatta, and it's a, it's a distance regatta, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we, took, we, we were able to start that back up again uh, a couple of years ago. And then we created our own race, our, our own regatta is going to be the OBX multi-hull sail fest for catamarans and, and uh, trimarans, any kind of multi-hulls, both class racing, which we do have a good F-18 fleet that comes in and, and races, and then we have the Weta trimarans, and then we have an open fleet, which is Hobies and Prindles and Hobie getaways and all kinds of other boats. And it's just a, it's a fun 
two-day regatta, but it usually starts about two days before that with folks coming in to, right. to practice. And coming stuff. in, prepping, and all that good stuff. Yeah. What, what time of the years are these regattas usually held, roughly? Duck Cup is held in June, and OBXL Fest is held in September. Gotcha. Weather permitting. Yeah, we're starting to get some folks from out of town that are saying, saying hey, we hear you have this class regatta in September, and we'd like to come. Or, or a class has reached out to us and said, hey, we'd like to make you one of our stops. So that's actually pretty, uh, pretty flattering. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, years ago when I was the Hobie dealer, uh, there was a there was a group out of I want to say Raleigh, and they always had a summer thing in Hatteras. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if they're still doing that. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't heard. I haven't yeah, heard. That might have fallen by the wayside. So the big thing I want to touch upon, the exciting thing, and all that stuff is great, but the World One Thousand. So explain what the World One Thousand is. So the World 1000 was started uh, by two brothers back in the 70s as a bet, a barroom bet. That's the best part of the story. Right? <laughs> <laughs> as a barroom bet. They said they, they couldn't sail from Virginia Beach to Fort Lauderdale. Well, they were stubborn enough that they actually did it on Hobie 16s. And then back, back in those days, it was, it was, it was nonstop. It was a three-man crew. You rotated one out every 12 hours. And, sure. and it was uh, north to south which prevailing winds that time of the year is south to north. So, <laughs> so they, they quickly changed that regatta to start in Fort Lauderdale or Miami or wherever at, the, at that time yeah. to come south to north. And I guess that third guy would drive the, the wagon to right. follow right. the chase wagon. Correct. Which yeah. They'd pull up on a beach and I guess they had a radio or, or a VHF or something that, to communicate or they had a pre-set spot where they were going to spot or they were going to stop. Right. So that's how it, that's how it started. It ran for twenty some odd years, uh, and then it, it, it uh, one of the brothers uh, the brothers died, and uh, uh, not during a race, but uh, just of of, of age. Yeah. And uh, it just picked up back in twenty nineteen. They did a test run, and then in twenty it was supposed to run in uh, twenty twenty, which obviously COVID, uh, and it actually ran in twenty twenty two. We had thirteen teams, and uh, all thirteen teams finished. Excellent. Is, is 13 a pretty healthy number for that race, or is it, is it, has it been a lot bigger? It has been a lot bigger, yes. There have been, you know, 25 boats in those races. It is, it is a, it, to have more boats than 20 is, 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 is a lot of logistics. Yeah. A lot of logistics. I get you. And uh, why did you want to sail in this race? Um, long story short, um, after sailing here in the Outer Banks for a couple of years, I'd met some really... Great guys, great sailors, interesting stories, and they all talked about the world. And um, I was sailing a Hobie 18 at the time, uh, and I decided to up my game and got a ex-world boat. It was a NACRA I-20, and I just fell in love with the boat. And then, you know, over the time, I'm like, you know what? If they ever run this race, I'd love to do it. That'd be yeah. bucket list. I never thought in a million years that they would actually somebody would pick it up again. <laughs> but I've, I've, but I've done some I was I was bluffing. I was, so I had to I had to put up or shut up at that point. So, so you get in the race, uh, you start prepping. You start prep. You started prepping way out, I believe. Um, how much uh, preparation does it require? We started about a year. Originally, it was supposed to run in 2020, so we started a year beforehand. You know, ten months to a year beforehand. Once right. it was announced, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we need to buy a boat. Uh, we need to practice. Uh, we needed a sailing partner, 
And so um, a buddy of mine, who's also a great sailor, uh, he was a monohull sailor, not a catamaran sailor, uh, James Eaton. He, uh, he a phenomenal guy. Um, and he, uh, we were talking one day, I'm like, we're just joking around, like, hey, maybe we should do the Everglades Challenge. Maybe, maybe we should do the, do the world. I heard it's running again. And uh, we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we did the Everglades Challenge together on a boat to figure out whether we could sail together. That was, that was, that was. See so, so if no fights break out. Yeah. So and and then we decided to do the world, and uh, and so uh, yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of got started. And 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 you know, you have to prepare. I mean, it's both physical, mental, equipment-wise. You you have to get a ground crew. You have to. It, there there's a lot to do. So the. You divide up the team into, into three three areas: those that race, those that ground crew, and a team manager. And a team manager is 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 like they run the show, right? And that was my wife. And so, and if she said, says no go, we're not going. And, and if she says we're ready, we're ready. Yeah, all we said was yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, uh, and then the second most important part, as a racer, we're not the most important part. The team manager is, and then the ground crew after that, because right. without the ground crew can't get anything done right because as a, as a as a as a competitor you all you're focused on your gear your route and sailing the boat yeah and not getting hurt right and that's 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 you know and that's that takes up you know 99.9 percent of your yeah. of your of your brain capacity yeah you can't be exhausted pulling the boat out of the water packing everything up and all that other good stuff. Right. What's it, what's it like getting off that boat after eight hours? Uh, you have to learn how to walk again sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I should tell listeners that um, my experience is on a Hobie Cat and it's got a trampoline. There's no cushy place to like just, there's no cockpit. There's no cabin. You're just on a, on a, a, a mattress. You know? yeah. You're just on a flimsy mattress just sailing across the water, so unless yeah. unless you're in a trapeze harness, and it, it better be comfortable. Yeah, it better be comfortable. That's and that's another thing. That, and, that, and you're concentrating the whole time. Like yeah. it's hard to like just space out while you're on a trapeze wire. You can't trust me. <laughs> um, so, a little story is you can you you imagine this. So you're on a boat doing 15, 20 miles an hour. Which is fast it, on a boat. It, which is fast on a boat. You're sailing upwind. You're in a trapeze harness. You're, 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 you're focused on the waves, the wind, your direction. Your crew's focused on pulling the lines uh, and pulling the sheets and getting everything adjusted because it's a constant adjustment. Yeah. And then you have to do that for anywhere between 7 and 12 hours. Just constant focus. Yes. So your mind tends to drift every once in a while. <laughs> and when your mind drifts, things go pear-shaped. <laughs> real quickly yeah so so do you guys change positions at all no really no wow. that makes it even harder to That's concentrate a, unless we're tacking unless we're turning well th yeah but yeah. i'm saying the helm or the uh, mate you know yeah yeah so, so there's a skipper and there's a crew there's always a skipper yeah. and there's and, always a crew and the skipper stays the same correct unless there was something unless something traumatic happens. happening yeah wow yeah i don't think my attention span would last more than 15 minutes uh, one, one quick story uh, so <laughs> well, let me tell you yeah, let me tell you what happens so we're off the south carolina coast we had left folly beach and it was light winds to start with but we knew it was going to build it was building 15 20 25 gusting at 30 gusting at 35 and we're on a downwind we had the spinnaker up we're averaging 17 to 20 knots on a downwind 
there's it's just shallow, so the waves are a little short, and and we're we're focusing. I mean, we're focusing, and usually we can anticipate stuff. You know, the the, the crew you know anticipates a wind gust. He'll let the sheet out and pull it back in. I'll bear off a little bit or bear, go up depending on what how whether we need to power down or power up, and. We were looking at this fishing boat, and it's like, oh man, they're way out here. Yep, yeah, we got to watch out. We got to make sure that we don't, you know, get in their way because they're pulling nets and everything like that. And so we're going and cruising along, and we just failed to see a wind gust behind us. And at, at 35 knots, it flipped us. We pitch pulled all the way forward, oh, and I went flying. I was still <laughs> still hooked into my trapeze harness, and I went flying 20 feet. I skipped off the jib, no, and was 20 feet in front of the boat. No, and there comes the the shrimp boat. Right. <laughs> I'm sure they got a pretty good show, but it was the fastest cap, capsized riding we've ever done. Right. Oh, my so, gosh. And that was followed by four more of those. Really? Yeah. So we five times in one day. And that was, it was, it was a very windy day. It was very gusty. We were tired. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, going four or five days and by that fifth day trying to concentrate for six hours and 25 mile an hour winds. So yeah. I just don't see that happening. You yeah. know, um, the fatigue, the mental fatigue, all that stuff. That's crazy. Um, so was that the scariest part of the race? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> so I would say probably the second day would be the scariest part of the race. Um, we had that time in the Outer Banks, there was a, a low over us. We had a nor'easter, a very powerful nor'easter. It was blowing 50 plus here. And the, the bottom of that low had stretched all the way down to Florida. And we were sailing into it. Really? And so it was all upwind and it was blowing. We had a 62 mile leg that day. And we were tack, 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 three miles, five miles out, a mile from shore, five miles back out, mile to shore. And so in six hours, we did 22 miles. Um, <laughs> we realized this after the fact, but we, we're going out. Uh, we had just tacked. We're heading out to sea. The waves are eight to ten feet, really? and the boat comes up over a wave. And you kind of anticipate you bear off to ride down the backside and come back up again. And we launched off this wave. It was real <laughs> steep. I mean, the literally the boat came out of the water. And when we landed, the boat dropped. My harness broke. Um, the hook on my harness, and I, I I was I went overboard. And so. Oh, Jane and I had the tiller extension in my hand the whole time. And so uh, <laughs> James, my partner, uh, was like, Hardy, where are you? And so the boat capsizes. I knew exactly what was going to happen. As soon as the wind caught that trampoline, it was blowing 30. That boat was going to take off. There was no way I was going to catch it. Yeah. Luckily, wind was blowing on shore. I wasn't, it wasn't, didn't hit me till two days afterwards what kind of situation that was. Yeah. But luckily, there was another team that came and picked me up. They plopped me uh, on okay. Luckily, and I was, this guy's telling me, he's like, okay, get on the boat, sit here, do this, do that. I'm like, boy, this guy's really, really professional. I find out later he's a Coast Guard rescue pilot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so they dropped me off on the boat, and uh, we realized we have a lot of damage, and we had to, we had to withdraw for the day. So we found, a, we found a, a beach, and there was a condo, so we figured there's some kind of access there. And so still eight to ten foot waves. And so coming into the beach, and we're coming into the beach at 15 knots. Oh, geez! Pull the dagger boards up, riding off the face of a wave, all the way up the beach, 50, 60 feet up on the beach, <laughs> and come right. around. 
So it was. It I'm was, sorry. What happened at the end? Uh, we came. We spun. Uh, oh, uh, was, yeah. Okay, good. It was. It was. It was. It was. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So his name was James, right? James Eaton. Yeah. And uh, once you fall off, he's got the whole boat. He's got the whole boat, but he's in a crew position. Doesn't have the tiller in his hand, and so the boat capsizes. Okay. He weighs 167 pounds. He wasn't getting it up. He, it's all technique. Okay. <laughs> Possible. Okay. Possible. Yeah. And he was he was trying, but luckily the other team was nearby. But that was that was the risk. So the risk was he couldn't get it up. Boat floats in the shore, gets destroyed in the in the surf. I float to shore. I surf my way into the shore. Yeah. Yeah. And and I go try to help. So that's that was the that was the alternative. Right. Were you that close to shore? We're about a half mile off. Right. It's it taking a while, but yeah. Yeah, thirty knots. It's <laughs> not, not not that long. Yeah, I I was on a Hobie. This is I was in my twenties. I was on a Hobie sixteen. Uh, I was at the helm. My buddy was on the wire, hanging hanging from the trapeze wire. I look back to admire the wake we were throwing, and when I look forward, he's gone. And when I when I I look around I'm like you know Hobie sixteen. There's no place to hide. I look back. He's still hanging from the wire. He had lost his footing. He'd swung behind me. He's hanging in the now he's in the water behind the boat, right. but he's still hooked in. The boat starts, you know, creeping up on its uh, hindquarters with the bow sticking straight up in the air. I tell him to release. He releases, and once he releases, I take off like a rocket, and I started to panic, like I'm going to capsize this thing by myself. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I came about and I was able to pick him up. But uh, I can only imagine what James was thinking once you disappeared. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. In, in, in thirty mile an hour winds, ten foot seas. So it was all it was all fun and games when we talked about it, but we were both pretty nervous, probably. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty lucky. It's better yeah. to be lucky, right? True. Uh, and so you you limp back, and I guess you made con- uh, uh, communications with your ground crew, yeah, and they came and picked us up, and another boat came in right there that day. Out of thirteen boats, four finished. <laughs> okay, so it was that it was that epic. And did did they finish like in the middle of the night or something? Two o'clock in the morning. Crazy. Yeah, two o'clock in the morning, and try to you know try to recover from that physically. You know, oh uh, yeah, and then we had to sail the next day. Right. So, right. Um, lessons learned. Um, so, um, yeah, go, go ahead and tell me you know, some of the things that you learned during that race. Well, I guess the key thing is preparation. Is you know both physical, mental, your equipment. Um, the nice thing about it is that. All these teams, everybody is working together. They're exchanging ideas. Like, hey, here's here. A lot of the veterans were saying, here's what you need to do for this. Here's what you need to do for that. And a lot of the, the there were some professional sailors there too. I'm like, hey, you might want to try this. So as one of the, we were one of the three, three or four rookie teams there, and it was it was very nice to see the camaraderie and the and the sharing of ideas. Right. Uh, so preparation is key. Um, so there's probably a lot of redundancy. Everybody's got like two of everything. More yeah, or less. pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Some people carried two boats. Wow. I mean, which which one team had to use their second boat? Is that right? Because the whole the whole the whole boat cracked down the middle. Crazy. Yeah. So, um, and 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 the key thing is preparation is knowing your boat. So this 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 year they actually used a, a the F eighteen class boat, um, and was either a Goodall or it was a Nagra. Uh, evolution and uh, new boats made for buoy racing so you had to convert it from a buoy racing boat to a long distance boat 
And so that's is that equipment. I mean, is that it's 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 line changes. It's rigging the things differently. It's 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 a very different way to rig the boat okay. uh, because you're 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 going to be on attack for sometimes days. <laughs> you know, so you have to be able to have everything accessible and, and easy right. to get to. Just and that reach, sort of stuff. reach a line and go. Versus a buoy race, you're you're going here. You're going around a buoy. You're constantly changing. So you're going over the same spot of the boat. So you can adjust stuff as you go. Right. You know, right. and then get it, yeah. you know, little tricks of you know when you're going upwind. And, you know, you don't need your spinnaker, but it has to be on board. So what do you do with it? You know, so there's, there's some rules that you have to follow because it's a class race. Uh, other, other, other key thing is, is having a good, good crew, um, um, especially a good ground crew, a ground crew that knows what they're doing um, so that when the racers come in, they can just kind of download what needs to be done. Say, hey, or here's a problem with this or here we need to adjust this thing differently and they can go do Right. Um, and we had we had a great ground crew. Uh, we had um, um, a young man named Ben Wilson, great guy. Didn't know anything about boats, <laughs> so we trained him. Gotcha. Um, and then we had my two sons, Robert and Michael. They switched off. One did one week. One did the other week. Right. Um, and they know about boats. So between them, they 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 got it about seventy percent there. And then James and I would come down a little early and get the other thirty percent taken care of as far as adjustment and get it ready for those days conditions and everything like that right so key key is going to be your your ground crew right uh but then again you know it all comes down with preparation preparation and that, that's you know mental and physical and are there were there moments that you just said boy we we totally missed that you know <laughs> uh, yeah yeah there's quite a few few moments. um <laughs> You know, I, I guess the biggest thing is, you know, we, we, we had a GPS and everything like that. What we didn't count on is that you can't always take it out and look at it. You know, so it was shoved in my front of my life jacket, but I wore glasses. I used bifocals. Yeah. James doesn't, so he should have been wearing it, not mm -hmm. me. Right. You know, those, those little, little isms that, 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 that you, you, know, you realize once you're out there and, you know, when you're sitting there. 15, 20, 30, 40 miles offshore, you know, <laughs> F-18 catamaran, 12 inches off the water, you're like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> um, were, were you prepared for the endurance part of it all? I thought I was. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, really, what can you do, you know? Um, doing what I am doing now, which is you start training physically two years ahead of time. Um, we, we, I started physical training six months ahead of time, which is not enough. Really? And I'm not a small guy. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, you know, that. But we also, I also spent, a, you know, I was flying down to Florida every other weekend and training with a coach. So yeah. James, James did it a couple times. I did it religiously every two weeks. I'd fly down to Florida. I'd spend three days sailing uh, on the catamaran. I was either, I had, I had either James was there and if he couldn't make it, I had a, another crew, a uh, young lady who I hope to see in the Olympics one day. Yeah. Um, and she is 16 years old, 102 pounds soaking wet and mean yeah. as a snake. Um, and she would drive the boat and I was crew for her. I'd never crewed on my own boat before. And that was an eye opening experience because yeah. now I understand what has to be done yeah. more than just telling somebody what to do and and doing that and and james had it hard it's a tough job to crew yeah i mean his fingernails were every fingernail on his fingers were was black by the time we were done you know and, and that's the other thing um the salt water you're probably soaking wet the whole time yeah i mean 
Are you just raw to the bone by the time the race is over? About a third into the race, my body was starting to, you get sore, you have sores. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have to take care, you gotta take care of this thing. One of the, one of the guys got cut on a leg and one of the legs and his, his leg didn't heal for the whole race. Right. And they had to put dry bandages on them and all kinds of stuff. I had some issues. I had to do the same thing. So finally, about halfway through the, the race, I, I, wore a, I wore a Gore-Tex dry suit. And I'll tell you one thing. I believe in those things. It's so nice <laughs> now to be you dry. Believe. <laughs> it's so nice to be dry. And believe it or not, it could be 80 degrees and you'll be fine in a Gore-Tex dry suit. Is that right? Yeah. No. It's, 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 it's all about, you know, the, the, like I said, the physical and the equipment and and that sort of stuff. That's that, that preparation is key. Was hypothermia ever an issue or a potential issue? I should say not in this race In a previous one, James and I did. Yes. I, I almost got, I, I wore the wrong kit and we had to stop and warm up for a bit. Cause we both were, I was hypothermic at that point. Is that right? But on this race, it was warm enough. The only one day that I would probably say that going around Cape lookout, it was cold. That was one of the days that we were we were we were cold. I, I had a dry suit on, and I had fleece underneath. Is that right? Yeah. Um. So, what's it like sailing into your hometown? We'll call Kill Devil Hills close enough to your hometown. Was uh, was that kind of a, a a source of inspiration, or what was that like? It was awesome. It was really awesome. It's 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 nice to be able to represent you know the Outer Banks as as Team Outer Banks. I mean yeah. we were we, we were Team Outer Banks. We had to get permission from the originators of Team Outer Banks to be able to use that name, and they right. they finally relented. Really, and, uh, it took yeah, a while. Huh? It took a while. It took a while. So Peanut Johnson, I don't know, um, he's a, he's an old ex world sailor. He him and. Uh, Charles Thurman and Todd Hart um, all sailed under at one point in time under Team Outer Banks, um, but they had to talk to Mike O'Brien and, and and Matt Burns and and who owned the name literally owned the name for Team yeah. Outer Banks and uh, they finally relented and let us do it. And uh, once we got to Hatteras, they they said, "Well, I think they're going to finish." <laughs> <laughs> they finally believed. <laughs> but but I, mean, I think the most awesome part about it was was knowing that I'm coming home. Yeah, I'm asleep in my own bed, which was mm -hmm. nice. But we're coming out of, came out of Hatteras, went around, went around the Cape, uh, Cape Point, and going all the way up Hatteras Island, Pea Island, and coming across. Wind was picking up, coming across Oregon Inlet. There's four of us, four boats all together, and our we had all had our spinnakers up, and our spinnaker was black and it had a white sail OBX. With a skull and crossbones, cool. and that was uh, was let it, uh, the tourism bureau let us use that one, <laughs> and so we come screaming through the cobia fleet that was out there. Yeah, and there is probably forty boats out there. Of course, <laughs> and it was funny. It was like they would they would saw the boats coming, and we'd hoot and holler to let them know we we're right behind them, and they would kind of move out of the way like this. And they kind of spread out and then close up behind us as we pass by. Yeah. And they saw the sail OBX and I recognized some of the boats going exactly. through there. And I know these people and they're, they're like awesome. hooting and hollering and yelling and screaming. That's great. And we come flying through the, through there and then we get the nags head and the wind died. <laughs> so then we limp along. Anticlimactic. And then the wind picks up again and then we, we came into, uh, 
Kill Level Hills there, and there was probably 500 people there, which was nice. really, it was it was really cool. And all the ex Warhol guys were there. We got a, we got a picture of the current and the past Warhol folks, the team members, you know, the the crew, the crews like Billy Mosley and Matthew Burns oh, and Michael yeah. Bryan and Peanut and Charles and Todd were all there. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, so what uh, what was your final place in the race? We placed eighth. Excellent. Out of thirteen boats, uh, we because of our time, uh, we we that second day where we had to withdraw, it, it added six hours to our time. Is that what they do? Yeah, they add six hours. Gotcha. So it's all time. It's it's leg times, and then you know we would have gotten fifth, but you know I'm happy with eighth. Yeah, I think that was a well placed. Uh, hey, you finished and uh, you survived and um, you came in one piece. So that that's uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. Are you uh, entering the next World 1000? We are probably 80% sure we are. Okay. We're, we're... And is that this year or next year? or uh... It's going to be in 2024. They're okay. going to they're supposedly going to run it uh, every other year. So we should hear pretty soon whether they're going to be, they're committing to do it. It's, it's a pretty big commitment financially as well as, as, uh, as time-wise for these folks. Okay. So you're 80% there. Um what, what is, is that hinging upon anything in particular or just in general? Getting over the PTSD from the first one? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's time and money. I mean, it really is. It's not a cheap race. I mean, it's, yeah. it's time and money. It's, it's getting the right, you know, you know we, had to, we had to save and scrape pennies. We were the, you know, it's, it's a pretty good-sized budget. And we were, we, were, we were using points for hotels and as much <laughs> as we could, you know. Yeah. What, what will you change if you enter in, the, let's say there's a 24 race, what will you change um, in general or in preparation or anything like that? Well, we're anticipating that the race is going to be run, so we're physically obviously getting getting prepared for it. Um, and we already have, uh, we have both boats, we have two boats actually. We have um, uh, the F-18, which is what the, we ran in last year. Uh, but we also have a Carbon 20, which is uh, a 20 foot, 10 foot wide, bigger boat, much more suited for ocean racing. And so we are, there's a couple teams that are petitioning the race committee to allow a second class of boats, and that would be the Carbon 20, which would be really good. So it'll be a two-class race if they do that? Possible, if, gotcha. if they're willing to manage that. And again, it's, it's, a, big, it's a big question. Gotcha. You know, the, the original race was run um, on 16s, and then they had a hodgepodge of boats, and then this last one was a full-class race with the F-18 class behind it. So there's certain rules, there's weight, boat weights, there's all yeah. kinds of stuff. But the biggest thing was that it made the boat the, the race affordable for much a much bigger audience. What made what made it affordable? The using the F eighteen is that right? Because it's a less expensive boat than a Carbon twenty. Oh yeah, gotcha. How old are you? I am fifty four. All right. Where do you sit in the spectrum of sailors in this race? Are you the old guy? No, gosh, no. Really? Uh, no, the old guy was like almost seventy. Really? Yeah, he was a he was a, a guy from the Netherlands. Oh yeah, he was awesome. Oh I'm 57 <laughs> and I'm thinking, I really don't have any desire to go out there. <laughs> yeah, Gerard, Gerard Luz was his name. And then you got Randy Smythe. He's 60 some odd years old. You have uh, uh, the Australians. They're, they're in their mid 60s. I mean, and there was, uh, they were the youngest one was 14. I, I probably could have done it when I was, I was probably dumb enough to do it when his, I was 14. He was driving his dad's boat. Really? He was, he, was a, he was a stud. He was a great kid. Who was the mate for him? Was his it? father. Was it really? Yeah, his father. Hmm. Interesting. Um, what does it cost to compete in the World 1000? 
Uh, wow, that's a very good, good question. It depends on your team. Um, but uh, for us, um, you know, obviously you got to buy the boat. That's about 30 grand. Yeah. Uh, and then you got to hotels, expenses, all that kind of stuff. So somewhere between 45 and 50,000 bucks. And do these international teams, are they shipping their boat across the Atlantic? Uh, no. Uh, there's two ways of doing it. So the last, this last race, I'm also a boat dealer right. for NACRA. And so they bought uh, uh, four of the boats out of the race were purchased from, from me. Okay. And then the teams came in here to pick up their boats when, uh, when uh, before the race started. Okay. Uh, and then the other ones, they chartered boats from a couple other dealers or they had a friend who had a boat or they bought boats locally and then sold them after the race. Okay. What do you, this just popped in my head, what are you eating during the day, you know, in a race? A lot of salt. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of salt. Good one. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> so obviously you have a pretty good breakfast in the morning, but you know you can't you, you can't stop at the McDonald's and pick up a hamburger. Yeah. So we we you know we have goose, we have food bars. You can uh, ensure is really good. Yeah. Uh, you want some of that. Speaking protein. of age, yeah. <laughs> speaking of age, um, you want to have some carbs. Um, the biggest thing is water, and the water we have has electrolytes in it. Um, it's almost like. Uh, Are you doing a Camelback or something? Uh, Camelbacks. Yeah. The, we use a stuff called Liquid IV. Yeah, um, which is super diluted, but it, it's really good. So you know, once you're you're out there, I mean, there's no stopping. There's no going right. to the bathroom. There's no. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the, 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 the most well-said thing from one of the foreign guys was that, um, I think it was one of the Australians, he said, yeah, you're sitting on a trapeze, you're sailing, you're sailing spinnakers out, you know, you're, you're tired, you're thirsty, you got to go to the bathroom, you look at your watch and it's like 11 a.m. We started <laughs> at 9. <laughs> and you have another, you know, 40, 50 miles to go. Right. <laughs> um. So the money, uh, obviously, you're probably pulling a lot out of your pocket. Uh, you have sponsorships or anything? Like yeah, that? yeah, we were we were lucky enough to have uh, some good sponsors this year. Uh, Bonzer Shack was one of our, one of our sponsors, uh, Outer Banks Tourism Bureau, uh, which loaned us the logo as well too. Uh, and then uh, we had uh, Just for the Beach Rentals, okay, and East Coast Selvas. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and speaking of East Coast sailboats, uh, t tell us a little bit about your company. Uh, East Coast sailboats, we're uh, kind of a mid-sized boat dealer. Uh, we cover uh, everything from our region, which is the Carolinas and Virginia, with some brands, to all over the country with other brands. So we carry, you know, eight brands of sailboats, everything from multi-hulls to trimarans to monohulls. All sailboats, no all sail motorboats. No motorboats. All sailboats, nine feet up to 22 feet. Uh, and we um, um, run out of Point Harbor, North Carolina, and we're, we're shipping boats all over the country. Right. So some of these, some of these brands you carry, you're the supplier and the dealer, essentially. Correct. Um, we're the distributor and the dealer yeah. as well, too. Right. You know, a brand like Hobie, for example. You know, that's that's one of our brands as well, too. Right. So, um, but yeah, we we you know our our focus is to be able to provide the right boat for the right person. At a, at, a, at a good cost so that they can learn the sport of sailing or continue their, their sport of sailing, uh, whether they're a beginner or all the way up to a professional, all the way up to Olympic sailors. Right. As a small, small boat sailor, is that, is that right? I'm a, yep. I'm not a large boat sailor, 
but as a small boat sailor, I could say I love I love recreational sailing. I love the Hobie Cats. My first boat was a Laser. My second boat was a Hobie 16, and of course, being the Hobie dealer was was a lot of fun. Learned even more about sailing while I did that and own, owning a water sports business. So, I can say uh, recreational sailing is what I love, and I'm glad that you're pushing that and promoting that. It's it's I think it's important. Um, hope to see more young people getting into it. I, I think you're doing a great job of getting the young people on the Outer Banks into it. I see a lot of kids out here attending your camps and everything. I talk to kids and, and they've been to your camp, so uh, you're definitely making a great impression there. Uh, as we wrap things up, is there anything on anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, yeah. Besides East Coast Sailboats, if you ever want a boat, come come see us. What's that uh, website? Uh, it's www.eastcoastsailboats.com. Um, but some of the other things that we're, we're, we're looking into the future on is we're, we're looking into a way to be able to bring more sailing to the Outer Banks. We have, like I said earlier, we have all this water and we see a lot of water. We need to see more boats on it. Right. And what better way to do it than sailing? It's such a great sport. And so we're, we're working on creating one of our brands, Sail, Sail OBX or Sail Outer Banks, uh, to do just that, is to be able to bring boats to venues here as well as promote sailing uh, as a recreational sport here in the Outer Banks for folks coming to visit. And we're doing that through the ability of trying to find more better, more and better water access for everybody, uh, as well as our, um, our, our, our event management as far as regattas and, 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 and other sailing uh, events here in the Outer Banks. Excellent. Well, I wish you the best uh, with that. Um, if there's anything I could do to help you promote that, that'd be great. And everybody out there should uh, try to support uh, Hardy and East Coast Sailboats and all the sailing that goes out on the Outer Banks. And if you have kids that want to learn how to sail, it's a great way for kids to get out on the water, uh, learn their independence, and uh, you know, just uh, kind of be free out there on the boat, uh, in, enjoying nature. So, Hardy, thanks for your time today. No, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. I appreciate Hardy Peters joining me for this episode. Always a good time with him. And you should check them out at eastcoastsailboats.com if you're interested in getting into the sport. If you want to go for a little sail, sailboat cruise, he has that surfer girl boat up in Duck. You can find that at sailobx.com or at norbanks.com. And if you could, please leave me a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'd greatly appreciate it. And until next time, make it a good one.